0: Welcome to Woman on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Jan Shirwa. We all agree everyone deserves access to good quality education. Unfortunately, not everyone is given the same opportunities. In Australia, the legacy of racist policies has meant that Aboriginal students continue to face structural barriers that impact their education. I reached out to Auntie Gail Kunwara Dawson to find out what makes a real difference to the lives of Indigenous students. Auntie Gail is a Bunawarong elder and a school education researcher at Deakin University. Welcome to Woman on the Line, Auntie Gail. Hi, Ayan. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I can't wait to pick your brain. So let's start from the beginning. Can you share your experience of teaching and things that you noticed as a teacher?
1: Sure. Now, I'm a Bunurong traditional owner from the coastal strip around Nam or Port Phillip Bay, and our land runs from Werribee to Wilson's Prom. And I live somewhere else now because my husband and I are building another yacht, but I'm still beside the salt water. And I come home often for business. And although our Bunurong community spread all over Australia, metaphorically, we sit in the same camp. We come together for ceremonies. And although they're different to old times, it's still really the same. Now, I started teaching in the 70s, and in my first posting... I got the shock of my life. I was raised in an urban area and nobody ever told me that there were children in Australia who still spoke their own languages. Um, I was raised in an urban setting and we spoke English in different ways depending on where we were but nobody, nobody in Australia ever talked about Aboriginal languages. So when I went to this remote school and all the kids didn't really speak English at all. It kind of um, hinders your teaching and um, I can remember thinking that the Indigenous Education Unit I did at college didn't really prepare me for this. I had to learn really quickly and that meant going out to the mission. There were missions in those days and getting people to trust me And I had to learn quickly and to do that I spent a lot of time with people just sitting quietly and fishing and just listening. Mm -hmm. And um, at that time I was devastated by the pointlessness of what we were doing in that school. And um, all those teacher ways that I'd learned at Teachers College were exposed for what they were. They were these strange colonising practices and I was actually taking part in it. And um, it was really hard because there was actually segregation in that town and um, I was put in jail twice for making a fuss about it. So I was very dispirited by that and I didn't know what to do. It was a lot for a young person. So I ran away to Tonga as an Australian volunteer. There I, I saw possibilities for two-way teaching and working in First Nations cultures. The people from the outside, the non-Tongans, were expected to learn Tongan and speak it wherever we were and become part of the community. The Tongans looked at us very fondly as... Foolish and very uneducated guess, but it gave me a start with learning other languages and there are also there were sounds in Tongan that are similar to sounds in um, Australian languages. So when I came back, I worked in um, one of the first independent schools in the Pilbara in WA. And uh, these people had come out of the very first Aboriginal strike on stations in 1946. And these people ran the schools the way they wanted them. There were bilingual programs, Aboriginal teachers, and my job was to teach English and Western maths. And in the Nyangamara, Nyangamara language and literacy programs, I was an assistant teacher. So the model had been changed into a way where the outsider teacher didn't have all the power and, of course, that was a very powerful learning experience. Mm. When I think back on that time there, I think I'd like to see someone try a bit of Mm colonisation in that setting because you wouldn't be able to. In ceremony time, we packed up the school in a few crates and we drove out to the great sandy desert and um, school or education happened all around us and it was all just part of camp life and we fitted into whatever was happening. It could be a trick. Out to see an ancient grinding stone, imagine like thousands, tens of thousands of years old, still sitting there where the old people had left it. Or there could be hunting trips for goanna or emu, kangaroo, or it might be ceremonies at night under the stars. But the school fitted in with that and worked around. So it was
0: a good model. Mm. God, you've given me so much to think about. So from <laughs> from what I'm hearing, the issue is twofold. One, at that time, at least, university didn't prepare you to work with students who didn't fit in that white mainstream model. And two, the curriculum was also very, I guess, very um, generic, so to speak. Is that what I'm yes. hearing?
1: Yes, that's right. Um, so the current curriculum, there's nothing wrong with it. It totally respects the importance of Western identity for Western children. It's reproducing a system that works really well for over 3,000 years. However, the Australian Indigenous system is much older and has also worked very effectively, probably for much longer. Mm. And the important thing is, It sustained Indigenous identity against massive threat for the last 233 years.
0: I love what you said just before, how Indigenous knowledge and stories should be taught alongside the curriculum as opposed to like a separate thing, something that you do at home. It should be something incorporated into the curriculum.
1: The curriculum, the national curriculum, actually says that indigenous knowledge should be incorporated or integrated into the you know the daily uh, subjects and um, activities mm. however there's a real problem and it exemplified by the closing the gap idea when people talk about closing the gap the gap is not a place where two sides meet in the middle It's a metaphor that tells us that one day the Aborigines will reach a Western level and when they do, we will have closed the gap. So even though within the system there's teachers and schools that work with the communities to make really good, true two-way learning, but it depends on individual people rather than the system. So it's, it's never sustainable.
0: And on community radio stations right across Australia, you're listening to Woman on the Line. We now return to Auntie Gail, as she explains why some schools might be reluctant to incorporate Aboriginal knowledge and perspectives into the school curriculum. Well, you can't do
1: it. You can't do it unless you are integrated into the community. Here's an example. Common belief of the education system is that the problem in remote communities is poor attendance. But what happens when all the kids come to school and the attendance jumps from 100 to 500? I know the answer to this because with the teachers, one of the schools in the Northern Territory, we we made this happen with the community and the teachers. And then when it happened, there weren't enough classrooms, there weren't enough desks, there weren't enough teachers, there weren't enough books. And if you bring in more teachers, there's nowhere for them to live. It takes years to build houses for the additional staff and money. Mm. And, like, that situation really shows up the pretense of equality that's happening in schools. And I I wasn't given a medal for getting all the kids to school. I was actually removed. So the education system is actually designed, really, for Aboriginal children to fail.
0: Right, because to me it sounds like the issue is systemic as opposed to, like the individuals, because everything that I've read online seems to be, oh, the issues is with the community, you know?
1: Well, the closing, the notion of closing the gap absolutely tells you that it's coming from a def- deficit model, because the Indigenous students have to come up to the level of all the other children, the mainstream children. There's no understanding there that the two groups can meet in the middle. Now, the Uluru Statement of the Heart says this so beautifully. It says, let's walk together. Let's walk together to a better future.
0: Right. That sounds so beautiful. All right. So I know we earlier we sort of discussed what we would ideally like to see so if change was to happen how would it start because it's such a huge problem what are some initial steps that the community can take
1: you know the idea is that indigenous knowledge will you know will come into the school and You know, what is that Indigenous knowledge? I can't even say when I'm sitting here by myself. When we want to do something, everybody sits together and we think about it and everybody can have a say and we think about that. So I can't really say how we would do it, but I know what it looks like in practice. It's sitting and talking with people and then we make a plan to bring the school and community together for learning. So we shift the curriculum closer to the community. One example of that, um, we put aside one afternoon a week and the community members, or the experts, came in and they set the kids up for learning. They set them up in their own language groups, in their skin groups, which is a way of Uh, you know, relationships with all ages together. And then they decided on an activity and everyone worked together. And then, so it might have been weaving or weaving and spear-making, or it could have been dance or song or both. And, um, And then to bring it towards the Western way of education all the photos and videos that were taken will be used during the rest of the week for math sessions and English language and literacy activities and um, the bilingual program, language and literacy. And I
0: think, Simple, so yeah,
1: simple. Yeah,
0: and I think Western culture or, or at least the Western ideas of education, there's not a lot of focus on listening and storytelling and yarning uh, did you, have you noticed that as well, that a lot of it is about memorising as opposed to, like, coming together?
1: Yeah. And it really makes me laugh now. Teachers talk all the time. And they only really use one kind of talking, and it's instruction. And even when, you know, like, they will ask a kid for an answer to the question and they've, they've already got the answer in their head. And for a lot of smart little kids, they're looking and they're going, why are you asking me that question when you know the answer? (laughs) So that, that model is just really strange. So you're right. For teachers to change the way they're doing things, they would have to sit and listen, and they might have to be very flexible, go with the flow.
0: Right. Like when I think about my own experience and all the students who fell through the gaps, and they fell through the gaps, not because they weren't bright enough, because they were really smart. It's just the education system has one model of doing things, one model of learning, one model of success. So a lot of the time you're comparing yourself to the standard and if you don't meet the standard, you're considered somehow less than or not smart enough. Like I remember a lot of my friends were accused of not participating but you can't participate in a class where you don't feel included, where you don't feel like your ideas are valued.
1: Yeah, you can't participate in a game if you don't know what the game is Or or if you don't really want to play it, you'd rather play a different game.
0: Right. Well, I know your report hasn't come out, but before we let you go, can you tell us a bit about what your report looked at and maybe some conclusions, some at least tentative conclusions?
1: Well, I still had that experience in the Northern Territory 20 years ago sitting with me and the damage that it did to my Indigenous identity, I was still trying to heal. So it was great for me to really think about a policy document that was written while I was there and the consultation took place in the school and I spoke for that document and then I saw what happened. So my paper explores how policy is already designed before this consultation process With Indigenous people takes place. The policy is already written and the consultation is designed to justify that decision. But the next year, that policy disappears and another one comes. And I've been watching that now for 50 years in education. So my paper looks at the way policy is written for the education system and then I look at another policy document that says a lot in one page and that's the Uluru Statement from the Heart and I'm suggesting that within that statement, that one page statement with the painting is everything that the education system has to do to make Australia a better place. Mm-hmm.
0: And you're so right about the policies failing, like all these policies keep coming up and they keep failing and no one really thinks about what the reasons are for the failure. And a lot of the time I realise it's very paternalistic. It's people assuming they know what's best for your community. And even if the community is consulted, there's always a few figureheads who are consulted.
1: (laughs) Yes. When I looked at some of the the policy documents from 1999 and nothing's changed because I have checked other policy documents, there is consultation with um, Aboriginal consultative groups, and um, but they're kind of limited because they're actually employed by the department. And then you look at the list of other people consulted, and they're all within the education department, and they're non-Indigenous. So it's very easy to see who's driving policy. Aboriginal people were actually listened to, you wouldn't come up with a policy like the government does. You'd come up with something like the Uluru Statement from the Heart.
0: Well, that's a good note to end on. Before I let you go, do you have any final thoughts, any final comments? Look, the majority
1: of Australians really want to know more about First Nation Australians and they want to share something that they know is the oldest living culture And it's right on their doorstep, but they don't know where to start. So, once again, I go back to the Uluru Statement and it's voice. First, start listening. And then it's agreement-making and truth-telling. And that's how we sit down and experience education. And that's the simple change that has been spoken in every consultation for two centuries. And it's looking at we all walk together in a movement of the Australian people for a better future. And that's what the Uluru statement says.
0: Amazing. Go to the people, don't expect the people to come to you. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Auntie Gail. That's
1: absolutely my pleasure.
0: Thank you so much, Auntie Gail Konwara Dawson, for speaking with me. Auntie Gail's report, The Construction of an Indigenous Teacher, will be out soon, so look out for that. Woman on the Line is a Community Radio National Women's Current Affairs program. It's produced and presented by a range of broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We greatly appreciate the financial support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show, so send us an email to line at gmail.com or phone 3CR on 03 Women on the Line programs can be downloaded from our website, 3cr.org.au forward slash line. The theme music for Woman on the Line is by Ripley Kavira. We finish today's program with the one and only Lauren Hill and her gorgeous track, Lost Ones.
2: It's funny how money changes situations. Uh, Miscommunication leads to complications. Uh, My emancipation don't fit your equation. Uh, I was on the humble you on every station. Uh, Someone play young Lauren like she done. Uh, but remember not to game the one under the sun. Uh, Everything you did has already been done. I love all the tricks from Brick to king Kingstown. Uh, My ting do major, king Down, uh, not want to understand El Boogie, Viola, uh, But if a thing tests me, run Sense creation a groupie car you far from temptation now you want ball over separation tarnish my image in the conversation who you gonna scrimmage like you the champion you might win some but you just lost one you might win some but you He's Need to get down on his knees and repent. Can't slick talk on the day of judgment. The movement's similar, multiple serpent, Try to play straight how your whole style is. Consequences, no coincidence. Hypocrites always want to play in the sand. Always want to take it to the full out extent. Always want to make it seem like good intent. Never want to face it when it's time for punishment. I Last one First letter. L. 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 Um, L. O. L. 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 What's that? L. Love. What? Love. Love. How many people know any songs about love? Right here. Yeah, I know a mm-hmm. lot about love. Tell me some titles. Titles. What's the song? Love. It's a song <laughs>
0: called Love.
2: Yeah, it's No song to... called
0: It's about Kirk Franklin. what is it? How love. Go
2: ahead, go ahead. Okay. Anybody else is only song you know about love? I will Do uh, it. I, I can't hear you. I
0: can't hear you. I will always love.
2: What about any movies about love? You know any movies about love? Love, 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 what? Uh, Titanic. Titanic. Alright. Did you know that was about love when you saw that on TV? They said it was about love.